Open your Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter number 18. Proverbs chapter number 18. I was thinking we might get through this tonight, but uh, I'm, I, I'm really doubtful. But <laughs> So I don't want to make a promise. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Proverbs 18, we got down through verse number verse number 15 last week, and so we pick up in, in verse number 16. Proverbs 18 and verse number 16. A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. Now again, this is one of those verses that we might have a hard time identifying with today because of, you know, the way that customs tend to change. But this is speaking about the oriental custom of bringing a gift uh, whenever someone desired an audience or they desired a favor from someone. It is not, not, not like a bribe. I, I don't mean that. But it was simply uh, uh, showing someone your concern for them and we think back to then and how it is today, and the fact of the matter is human nature has never changed. Uh, it's always the same. And, and when we show respect for other people, their heart tends to be open to us. Now, that's just the way that it works. I'll never forget when I, shortly after I started pastoring in Tennessee, many, many, many years ago now, uh, and I'll never forget the one of the ladies who happened to be the pianist who happened to live right across the street, who happened to have be a relative of about eighty percent of all of the church members. And uh, she said one day she said uh, expressed her displeasure with me to someone and said uh, the 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 last pastor I prayed for God to remove his dead, and and I'm hoping this one here doesn't stay very long. So that was her attitude toward me. I, I don't know why she hated me so much, but she surely did. But to make a long story short, it wasn't you know, a few months went by, and one of the members of the church uh, said, uh, let's go deer hunting. And uh, I said, well, you know, I, I, and I deer hunted all of my life, but I said, you know, I, I don't have a gun anymore. He said, that's all right, I'll buy you one. And he didn't say, I'll loan you one. He said, I'll buy you one. So he bought me a, a brand-new Remington 30 alt 6 and so we took off and went deer hunting. And I was fortunate enough to kill the deer, had the deer all processed, and I thought, you know, uh, I'm I'm going to do something nice, and I I had the deer processed and took a big portion of it over there and gave it to that that woman and her husband, and uh, it was uh, it was an amazing transformation. You know, it didn't happen overnight, but over the next few weeks, already, you know, she I guess she could tell I'm wasn't as mean as she thought I was or something, and uh, uh, by the time that I left there. And by the way, that same church, uh, I can't tell you how many times since I've been here at this church has called saying, we need a pastor. They, they've called and said, the church voted last night to call you as pastor. And I said, I, I don't have any intention to leave in Texas. I'm sorry. And, and so I had a great relationship. But, but my point is, when, 
whenever you do something that shows respect for people and shows them you really do care, it, it just has a way of opening up their heart. And it's kind of like that old saying, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And, and that's really true, and that's an important principle not just when it comes to church, but it's an important principle in regards to our family. It's an important principle in regards to uh, to your vocation on the job, wherever you are. If you'll treat people, you know, I know we can we can reason all of this away and say, yeah, but if you knew how mean they were and da da da, you know, that they don't they don't deserve my respect. Well, that might be, but you didn't deserve God's love, and He loved you anyway, so. Uh, so, you know, it kind of puts us all on the same page. And so there's a great lesson there for us. Verse 17, he that is first in his own cause seemeth just. And that's an important word, seemeth just. But his neighbor cometh and searcheth him out. Now, there's two judgments mentioned here in this verse. And notice in the first instance, it's talking about a man who judges himself. And in the second instance, it's talking about uh, the man who is judged by his neighbor. Let me tell you, seldom will the results be the same. Very, very seldom. Uh, Picture with me a courtroom scene, and, uh, and you are the accused. And they call you to the stand as a witness. So here you are witnessing as to the charges against you. What do we do by human nature? We put ourselves in the best possible light, don't we? You know, uh, we, we plead our cause. We, we appear to be telling the truth. And we do our best to convince everyone that, you know, we're really not guilty of these charges. Or, you know, if it really happened, I, I, you know, I was justified because somebody really mistreated me. And so, you know, maybe we've, uh, maybe we've won over a few of the juries, you know, and they're listening. They got a tear in their eye from our sob story. And, uh, then they start calling the neighbors to the stand. And the neighbors reveal the facts as they really are. And so that's why I'm saying that whether it's your judgment of yourself or someone else's judgment of you, very seldom are they one and the same thing. And this ought to serve as a reminder for us of self-deception. Because we're usually not very good judges of ourselves, are we? We're really not. I, you know, you hear people say, well, do you think you're always right? And I said, well, yeah, if I didn't think I was right, I'd change my mind, you know, of course. But but I, even I've got enough sense to know that I'm not always right about absolutely everything. Uh, I don't know anybody that really is. And uh, And it's helpful if we take into consideration the views of other people because they're looking at us from a different perspective. And, and that, you know, that changes things entirely that's i believe it was general schwarzkopf i I believe it was the man who said that every man was his teacher you know you could learn something even from your worst enemies and that's really true whether it's from their failure or from their successes or whatever it is we can learn something from others and sometimes we can learn a lot about ourselves from our critics 
Because when somebody criticizes us, you know, there's usually a little bit of truth in what they say. And uh, that, that's, that's just the way it is. And we need to think about that. And um, it, by the way, the truth should be what we're looking for. And if we have to go outside of ourselves to get it, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't be too proud to do that. If somebody's going to help us get a better picture of what we're really like, because we all know we're prone to justify ourselves when we shouldn't, and we we need their opinion to help balance out uh, uh, the view of ourselves. Verse eighteen: The lot causeth contentions to cease. I'm talking about the casting of lots now. The lot causeth contentions to cease and and parteth between the mighty. Now, here's the, the idea. Back then, whenever a satisfactory conclusion couldn't be reached by, you know, any other way, and so you've got this contention between two people, whatever it is, and so they resort to the casting of lots to settle the matter. Now, we don't do that today. We might say, well, you know, let's flip a coin to decide or, you know, something like that. Uh, but there's an important principle in this verse. And that is that in doing this, now think about it. In doing this, both parties are agreeing that one's going to lose and one's going to win. But for the sake of peace, we'll abide by the decision. However, the lot falls. You know, if it falls your way, okay, that it'll it'll go your direction. If it falls my way, I win. But they decide ahead of time that peace is so important that it really doesn't make any difference who wins as long as we settle this and not have this contention between ourselves. And uh, the the important principle about this that is in dealing with other people, we've got to remember that we can't always have our way. And I've often used the illustration, you know, that if the church and we've just gone through this construction project and we decide, okay, we want to paint that, you know, that wall polka dot and that wall stripes over there or whatever. And I wouldn't be for either one of those. I think that'd be really silly to do that. But if the church voted to do that, I'll get a paintbrush and help paint, you know. Uh, I can't always have my way. Even as a pastor, I'm to provide leadership and direction on things, but that doesn't make me a dictator. I don't have any right to get up and say, well, whether you like it or not, you know, we're going to do this. And, and so we've got to take into consideration the feelings of other people and, and maintaining peace. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There are some scriptural issues that we ought to fight for. There's some scriptural issues. There's no room for debate, no room for compromise. We shouldn't go there. But I'm talking here about matters that, that really are indifferent. It doesn't make any difference how it turns out as long as peace prevails and and, and, and there are times that we need to be willing to be on the losing end of a deal if that's what it takes to maintain peace in the church. You'll remember that Paul, when he was talking to the church at Corinth, 
And, of course, they had all of this bickering going on. And, and he told them in no uncertain terms that you ought to allow yourself to be defrauded. That is cheated. Now, here's somebody maybe in a business deal or uh, whatever the case might be. And somebody cheats the other person. And for the sake of peace... You ought to be willing, hey, you just mark that off and forget it and go on. That doesn't justify the wrong that the other person did, but it's saying that to keeping peace is more important than winning an argument. You don't have to win every argument. We've been married over 56 years now, and believe me, you, you can't stay married that long if you have the attitude, I'm come hell or high water, I'm going to win every argument because you'll be divorced in no time, either that or have a nervous breakdown, uh, you, you know, because it just doesn't work that way for the sake of peace. And I'll tell you, the older I get... Uh, <laughs> The more I dislike turmoil and strife and argument, I, when I was young, you know, I, I, I didn't mind it all that much, but boy, the older I get, I don't want to fuss and fight. And, and you know, I was thinking the other day and, and thinking about uh, actually the message I'm going to be preaching there in Dallas and, and, and thinking back to over 40 years ago when I preached in that same church and maybe some of the message that I preached. And some of the issues, boy, I could get a lot of amens, you know. I could be, I could generate some excitement by getting on certain issues. And now I look back and think about those things that I was so adamantly against. By the way, things that I'm still against to this day. My convictions about those things didn't change. But all of a sudden, as the years pass by, I realize, wait a minute, that there, uh, there are too many things far more important for me to spend my time on than, than arguing about those issues. If you want to have a private conversation somewhere, you know, uh, and, and talk about those things, hey, I'd be glad to do that to an extent. But I'm not going to waste my time uh, taking up the time in the pulpit preaching on all of these, all of these petty issues and I say petty in comparison to the things that are most important. We don't have enough time on this earth to spend and waste our time doing that. And you want to win the argument? Well, you'll lose the war. It's like I keep saying, a bulldog whip a skunk anytime, but the stink ain't worth the fight. And you're a whole, you're a whole lot better off to just, you know, walk on and forget about it. Uh, well, verse number 19, a brother offended. Well, wait, we're, we're right here on the same page now. You know, it's a different verse, but I mean, this ties together with what we're talking about. A brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Now, notice this is speaking about an offended brother, not an enemy, but a brother. And uh, I, I don't know whether you thought much about it or not, but a lot of times, you know, an offense against a relative or, or maybe it's just a close friend, someone that you've had a close relationship with, that can be more difficult to resolve than an argument you have with a, with a neighbor or an enemy somewhere. And there's a reason for it because whenever you love someone, 
like your family or like some dear friend that you have, you put your trust in them and you commit yourself to them. And whenever they, when they deceive you, it hurts. And, and, and it hurts greatly, much more than somebody else doing something. And that's why it's talking about the fact that whenever you're offended by a brother, it says he's harder to win than a strong city. And when he says, notice the contentions are like the bars of a castle. And you hurt somebody else, someone close to you. It's like trying to conquer a strong city. And by the way, that's, that's a tough assignment. You think about, you know, overthrowing a city and the castle has got the iron bars on it. And and that's what people do whenever they get hurt. There's an offense and they put up their bars, don't they? They try to protect themselves. I'm not going to let you get close to me anymore. I'm not going to give you, you know, the uh, the room that you can hurt me again. You hurt me one time. I'm not going to let you get that close again. So they put up all of the bars. They retreat into hiding and they refuse to let you get close enough to them to hurt them again. How do you deal with that? Well, let me tell you this, the difficulty does not, does not relieve you of your responsibility. It might be hard, but we need to make every possible effort in order to be reconciled to that person. And that's why the Bible talks about it so much as lieth in you to live peaceably with all men. And we need to do everything in our power to correct that situation. If you're at odds with a brother or sister, and I'm talking about your family or somebody in the church, you, you need to do whatever you can. Now, by the way, it might not be possible. It might be that they'll refuse to cooperate. But you ought to be as loving and kind and put forth your best effort in order to heal that broken relationship. Now, verse 20, a man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth and with the increase of his lips uh, shall, shall he be filled. Th- this is just another verse. It says it in a different way, but all it means is that we reap what we sow. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. And, um, you, you know, you can't, you can't sow wheat and expect to have corn, can you? And the idea is that we can't talk one way and expect to be affected another way. The words that we speak, it, it's like, uh, you know, our, 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 Stomach is filled with, you know, whatever the food might be and uh, whatever nourishment it might have or lack thereof. And we are affected by that. I remember the first time ever that I had a quarter all to myself. And, you know, I had a quarter and I was allowed for the first time to go to the store, buy anything I wanted. I bought 25 Tootsie Rolls. 25 Tootsie Rose. And I climbed up in a big old catapa tree and I sat up there and I don't know if I made it through all of them or not, but whenever I got back home, I jocked it all running down my face and mom, you know, where you been? I, what, what do you got all over you? And I said, well, Tootsie Rose. And man, I, listen, you can't, <laughs> you can't live very long on Tootsie Rose. You're going to reap what you sow. Whatever you put in your system is going to have an effect on your health. 
And the same thing's true whenever it comes to the words that we speak. He says, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Now notice the next verse is going to enlarge on that. We get back to the subject of talking about words and the things we say. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Over and over again throughout Proverbs, he is reminding us of the power of words. I was talking a while ago about a courtroom scene where maybe you're called upon to bear testimony in regards to yourself. But think about, think about the power of words when spoken by a witness who is bearing testimony. Your future, your future depends on what that person says, right? And if four or five people come in there with the same story saying, yeah, I saw him. He shot that guy right between the eyes. There's no doubt about it. I know he's one. Listen, their, their, their words are going to put you in a horrible position. Or, or think about the words of a judge whenever he passes sentence against you. Think about the power of words whenever you talk about a general. I mean, the general, he doesn't have to, listen, he doesn't have to get a gun and point it at his troops and say, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. All he has to do is speak the word, you know. Attention, they standard attention, march and they march and fight and they fight and whatever he says, I mean, it's just automatic. He has that power. You think about teachers, whether you're talking about the public school or whether you're talking about teachers in the church, think about the power of their words. And, and, and we don't realize it when we're small. At the time, it doesn't impact us. But there are some certain things in my life, even to this very day, that I can look back to, uh, especially the sixth grade. Because we had a, I had an old teacher of the name of Mrs. Roop. Uh, she was a little old shriveled up thing, looked like she was 90. I don't know how old she was. And uh, we had all of these other teachers. Boy, they tried every way. You know, some of them were very stern. Some of them were, you know, nice and take you on picnics. Miss Roop just loved you. And, 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 and to this very day, I've never got over the impact that she made on my life. The power of the words of a teacher. We could go on and on. We could think about parents and the power of their words. Let me tell you, some little children are injured and damaged for life. Whenever they hear mom and dad fussing and fighting, whenever they hear you always criticizing why you'll never amount to anything you dummy you're dumber than a rock and just go on and on and on and after a while they begin to form judgments about themselves based on the garbage they're hearing from you the power of words are so very important in fact he says death and life are in the power of words and so we've got to be careful that we're not careless when it comes to the words that we speak verse 22 whoso findeth a wife <laughs> I, I could say a lot about that who's uh, uh, <laughs> you know, somebody's probably thinking uh, <laughs> no I'm not going to say it Back to the Bible, okay? Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth, notice, 
obtaineth favor of the Lord. Now, surely it goes without saying that we all understand that he's speaking about a good wife, right? Uh, because if he's, you know, speaking about a bad wife, or by the way, a bad husband, that would not be a good thing. And the Bible is very emphatic in the book of Proverbs about what a horrible thing it is to have contention in the family. It likens it to a, to a leaky roof. Some of us remember back whenever we were growing up, you know, and uh, we didn't have the, the, the means to patch every leak. And I, I can remember many times having a bucket sitting there in the floor and it start raining and it, that bucket filling up with water. And uh, uh, so that, that you know, a lot, a lot of people had to put up with that kind of stuff. Uh, leaky roofs, not, not, not a fun thing. I, I remember going deer hunting and we'd bought this old tent and I didn't know back then. And boy, we, we had a horrible storm up there in the Ozarks and me and my buddy got in that tent and I didn't know that if you touch the inside of the tent, that'll make it leak. Did you know that? Boy, it will. I'm telling you what, it wasn't long because you get to thinking, you know, that maybe this will help and what have you. And everywhere we put our hands, all of a sudden that was leaking. And we we finally got up in the middle of the night and, and, and loaded up and left out. Well, you know, that, that that's the way it is with the words that we speak and the problems that are created as a result of that and especially when it comes down to husbands and wives and let me tell you here uh, when he says whoso findeth a wife understanding that's a good wife findeth a good thing that's the understatement of of history because there's nothing more precious than a good wife that's uh, next to salvation the greatest gift that god ever gave and and by the way the good wife because you know people be wondering well uh you, you know who is a good wife i'm going to be honest i got married before i was ever saved and <laughs> And I basically had one criteria back then. The only judgment I had was how good looking she was. I'm sorry. That was just, you know, the, that was the basis. And, and, uh, I, I, you know, I, 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 you think you love somebody, but you don't even know that you don't know what love is. And I didn't know what love was. I can remember right whenever we got married and, and, and I can remember telling Bev, look, uh, all of my life, I've gone hunting and fishing and playing ball, played on a softball team and a baseball team. And I said, you just need to understand whenever I get ready to go squirrel hunting, I'm, it's not, I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go. I'll be back when I get back. That's the way we lived up until the time that I, I got saved. I'm not proud of that. I was an idiot and what have you. But, but it wasn't till later that I realized what a precious gift that God had given me. And the good woman is the virtuous woman that he describes in Proverbs 31. Verse, verse number 23. The poor useth entreaties. And that we would talk about, you know, and that's not necessarily begging, but making pleas, uh, asking for favors or whatever. But the rich answereth roughly. And the whole idea here is that that a lot of times people that have got a lot of money or a, 
high position, they're insensitive to the feelings of other people, whereas the poor person, generally speaking, has a submissive attitude, and uh, they're poor, and notice, and they make requests. They don't issue demands. Bev and I was watching the news this, uh, just a day or two ago, and it showed uh, uh, up, up in Branson on the golf course, I don't know if you saw it or not, that huge sinkhole, and all of the cavern down in there, it, 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 I don't know if you saw it or not. And I said, I said, well, that's Johnny Morris. Johnny Morris, of course, is the guy that started the Bass Pro Shops. And, and uh, she, she said, well, you know, you sure or something. So I, I looked it up online then, and sure enough, I watched the interview. It said billionaire Johnny Morris. I remember when Johnny Morris, when his daddy started a fishing tackle, selling fishing tackle just nearly down the street from where I was raised in a brown derby liquor store. And, and out of that, and in fact, then I worked for his cousin uh, at Master Plan Properties. And so I've been around, you know, those people. I've been around another fellow that I worked for that just had millions and millions of dollars. I did work for John Q. Hammonds. You've probably heard of him that all, all across America build these big office buildings and motels and all of that. And uh, so I know what it is to be around them. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. And there, there's exceptions to the rule. Uh, they can be the biggest jerks in all of the world just because they've got a lot of money and in a high position and you got you under their heel, so to speak, depending on them and they're rude and they're crude and they don't care. Now, I didn't say that about Johnny Morris. He's a, I'm just using that as an illustration. It's a rare thing to find somebody that, you know, that's got a lot of money or a high position that treat other people uh, as they ought to. And thank God for those that do. One more verse, and, I, and really I need 20 minutes on this, but I'm going to sum it up in just a few. A man that hath friends must, there's no question about it, he must show himself friendly. And there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. What wonderful advice this is, you know. And, and, and let me tell you, uh, we need to understand how important it is to have good friends because God designed us in such a way that we need each other, folks. Now, you might be one of those like I was growing up and I thought I want to be a hermit. I want to live in the mountains with a shotgun and a fishing pole and, and a pack of hounds. You know, I don't want anybody bothering me. And I really thought that's the way I wanted to live my life. And you might be one of those that think, boy, I'd just be better off living all alone out there. No, you wouldn't. Let me tell you, to ever become the person that God wants you to be, by the way, it's not important in you being the person you want to be. That doesn't count. That That's not important. To become the person God wants you to be, you need other people. That's why the Lord established the church, because we need one another. And that's important that we get in the church. Somebody says, well, you know, I, I, I just don't have any friends. And, and they say that with a tone that they're blaming everybody else for it. Well, you ought to do something about it. If you're going to have friends, you have to first show yourself friendly, you see. And there are a lot of people that want friends, but they don't want to do what's necessary to have those friends. And uh, let me give you a word of warning, though. Uh, 
sometimes the harder you try to become a friend with certain people, the worse it's going to get. Because they don't want to be your friend. They don't care if you fall over dead the next day. That, that wouldn't bother them. Don't waste your time trying to force those people to be your friends. Because I'll guarantee you, you won't have to look far to find somebody that is yearning from the depths of their heart to have a friend like you. They want a friend. And if you want a friend, you've got to be a friend and reach out to those people and help them. Now, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention how this closes. Notice, and there is a friend. Thank God for that. There is a friend. Notice that sticks closer than a brother. You know, we could talk about the first part of that and the fact that sometimes sometimes that friend that sticks closer than a brother is a real genuine friend. Like I think about the relationship with Jonathan and David and what a special relationship that was and how wonderful it is to have friends like that. But the greatest of all is to know that Head and shoulders above all of our earthly friends is that we have a friend in Jesus. And he sticks closer than a brother. He promised, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Amen. Thank God what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. And and, and regardless of what we're going through, you mark it down. He's going to be there in the middle of it with us. And so... Uh, leave here tonight just thanking God for what a great friend you have in Christ. And thank you for your attention. And uh, it's kind of a minor miracle that we got through. But Lord willing, hey, we're going to pick up in, ver- in chapter number 19 next week. So I hope you'll be here and stay on the journey with us. Let's sing a little chorus, Tim.